This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So, the only thing left to say is, you win? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered too, so the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via our participating restaurants, 18 plus reward registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and time supply, see mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club, because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Hello, and thank you for listening to the Forever Bristol City podcast. In conversation this week speaks with former City striker Joe Royal. Joe was at City for barely two and a half years, but rarely has a player had a greater impact on their debut than Joe did when he grabbed all four goals in a 4-1 win at home to Middlesbrough in November 1977. It wasn't until I did some research prior to interviewing Joe that I realised just what a coup it must have been for Alan Dix to be able to sign him a player still very much in his prime at age 28. Joe talks fondly of his time at City, but also his broader footballing career as both a player and a manager. Well, welcome to uh, Forever Bristol City podcast. Uh, Joe, you're looking well and enjoying the sunshine at the moment, yeah? Um, We are today. I mean, I must say it has been quite grim of late in the frozen north, but uh, it's good today, so... I'll be out in the garden very soon. Yeah. Now, I was just checking uh, on my uh, resources, and uh, you were a grammar school. You were a grammar school boy, uh, by all accounts, rather than secondary one. And one of my old bosses, he said, say to Joe, he said, would he remember Graham Dawson and Richard Ward when you used to play football up at Quarry Bank School? Tell us about that. You re- do remember him, don't you? Well, I, I do remember the names, quite honestly. It's an awful long time ago. And Quarry Bank, of course, is more famous for John Lennon and then Steve Coppola and myself. But um, I, I used to play football with the more senior boys, <clears throat> excuse me, because uh, of my size, even as, as an under 11. You know, I, I was more comfortable with the under 15s. <laughs> yeah, so that was good. So. And when you when you got into uh, professional football, um, was it Everton or Liverpool for you, or was it always going to be Everton? Um, it wasn't always going to be Everton. Everton were the team I supported. <clears throat> Excuse me, but um, it, it's a funny tale, really. That I was still, I'm still probably the only high school boy that played for the Liverpool schoolboys team. Uh, we actually played at Bristol, and I played against Trevor Tainton 
um, when I was 13, 14, so I, I knew Taints well. But um, when I came home after one of the games, um, my mum met me at the gate and she said, Joe, there's a couple of men here who want to speak to you. And it was quite a tough area in Norris Green where we lived. And my initial reaction was, what have I done? But, um, you know, so she said, no, we've got the Manchester United scout in the front room and the Everton scout in the back room. And I couldn't believe it. You know, I'm 14 years old or nearly 14. And here I am with two of the biggest clubs and my team want to sign me. But it, it was always going to be Everton. Yeah, fantastic, fantastic. So you got into the team at, uh, I think you, what was it? You were uh, 16 when you made your debut. I mean, what was, can you remember that? It's a long time ago. It was at um, Blackpool. Um, I think it was January 66. Um, I was cleaning the boots for the first team the following day. I was an apprentice at that stage. And uh, I, I was called up by the manager to go and see him. And again, I'm sat outside his office in the in the upper floor of Goodison Park. And uh, again, I was wondering, am I in trouble here or something? And he, he called me in and he said, Joe, I've got your father on the phone. And if the weather doesn't change too much, you're going to be playing in the first team tomorrow, replacing Alex Young. Well, if you knew anything about Everton and Everton fans, uh, Alex Young's nickname was God. And yeah, he was the golden vision. They had a television program about him years and years ago. And a wonderful man and a wonderful player. Um, he used to sway across the ball and make players fall over. A fantastic talent. But anyway, he was going to play me instead of Alex Young. And uh, if I'm honest, uh, the next day I probably got about six out of ten. I, I tried hard and worked hard. It was a frozen pitch. And... Um, and that that was my mark, you know. I, I'd made my debut at um, at sixteen. I played one more game that season at Leeds United, would you believe? And then it was the end of the following season, really, before I got in the side on a on a permanent basis. Yeah, and I'm looking at your record because the your first full season, 68-69, 42 appearances, 22 goals, and then the championship winning season, 42-23, and you were barely what, 22, and you'd scored a goal every other game. I mean, it must have exceeded your own expectations. Well, I, did, I, ne I never thought about the numbers at the time. It was pointed out to me later on, you know, that uh, you know I, I was averaging a goal every two games or, or something like that. Um, I was just a, a happy kid who was playing football for the team he supported. And yeah. um, I was enjoying it. And, of course, we, we had a great side. There was... Lots of players behind me, the Kendall Ball and Harvey Trio, uh, Johnny Morrissey on one side and Jimmy Husband on the other side. So scoring goals without sounding too facetious wasn't really that hard in those days. <laughs> <laughs> no, some great, some great days uh, with them. And um, I say 232 appearances in total, over 100 goals. I mean, that's an incredible record. What prompted the move to uh, Manchester City? Because, you, you know, you were doing... Fantastically well there at, uh, at Everton. What 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 was the rationale behind that? Well, it, realistically, I, I I was playing. I was in the best form of my career. I just played against Yugoslavia, uh, scored at Wembley, um, being talked about as the best young striker in Europe, and all kinds of nonsense going on. And uh, two games after playing against Yugoslavia, um, I had a back injury uh, that effectively kept me out for ten months. 
And by the time I returned, really, you know, I'd lost a little bit of athleticism. Um, I could still control the ball, which was always a good start. But uh, it took me a while to get going. Harry Catrick, the manager who always had great faith in me, had gone and been replaced by Billy Bingham. And uh, I was taking a long time to get going again. I must admit, in, in fairness to Billy Bingham, I couldn't complain that he signed Bob Latchford to replace me. Right. So, you know, they, with, with Bob doing so well and me still struggling, um, Manchester City came on Christmas Eve 74 and I went to meet Peter Swales and Tony Book, the manager, and uh, signed for Manchester City. Yeah, and what was the big difference between Everton and Man City and maybe going back and playing against your, your boyhood club? It was always hard going to Goodison Park for me, you know, where I'd always been one of them kind of thing, one of the <clears throat> one of the fans and uh, with friends in the fans. And it, it, I, I didn't mind scoring against Everton, man. I, I scored against them a, a few times when I was at um, Man City, but it, it, it wasn't easy to start with, you know, the... The fans knew I was still a blue boy, but equally professionally, I was playing for Manchester City and uh, you had to do your best. Yeah, well, then uh, come uh, 77, November 77, this is the the interesting part of a very interest, interesting part for Bristol City fans, but uh, amongst a very interesting career in football. Bristol City came knocking. How did that happen? Because you were still, I'd say, at the prime of your career, 27 years old then? How did that I happen? In, I was still in the England squad at the time, and uh, I had one or two hints pushed my way in the summer. A couple of journalists rang me up and said, do you know anything about Bristol City? Because uh, we hear that you're going there. And I said, well, I know nothing about it. Um, so when we reported back for pre-season training, uh, Tony Book, the manager, pulled me to one side and said, uh, Joe, the Bristol City um, are interested in you. You know, they're, they're top flight. Um, we'd had a good season the previous season, finishing runners-up. Um, Brian Kidd scored a lot of goals. Dennis Stewart scored a lot of goals. And I, I didn't. I think I only had 12. And the logic was, um, from Peter Swales, the city chairman, if you buy another striker that gets 20 goals, you'll have three of them and we'll win the league next year. Yeah. Having finished up to Liverpool that year. So, realistically, I was being... I wouldn't say shoved out, but gently eased out. Uh-huh. Um, so we started the season. I wasn't in the side always. I was in and out. And then um, he came on again and he said, uh, Joe, um, Bristol City are interested. So the, the hard part was myself and my wife, we'd uh, moved house. We just built a new house that, you know, was going to be the dream house. And um, I, I had to go down and, and speak to Bristol City. Which, listen, that was not a problem. Bristol City were top, top flights at the time. And I remember Tony Collins, the chief scout, came and met me at Main Road and drove me down. And he was telling me all about the team and, and all about the players. I mean, I knew some of them. As I say, I'd played against Saints. And, I, you know, I'd played against Bristol City when, when we were a good side and, and we'd won there about 5 or 5-1, I think. So I, I did know a little bit about them. And when I met Alan Dix, I was very impressed by what he had to say. You know, he, he didn't sugarcoat it. He said, um, we need experience. We've got Norman Hunter here. We've got Pete Cormack here. You know, we think we need a little bit more experience up front. Paul Cheesley's injured. 
come and join us. So I actually asked, I said, can you give me a month to make the decision? You know, because uh, it's a big decision to make. And um, as everyone knows, you know, the first game I, I did a silly thing and scored four. Um, <laughs> I walked into the press room afterwards and I really remember, listen, I don't do this every week. Um, and I think it was another eight games before I scored. But Yeah, I think it might have been a bit longer than that. But Jerry, Alan Dix told me, I interviewed Alan the other week. He said, after you got that four, and I was at that game. I, I can't remember yeah. it in detail, but I was there. And he said, Sweeney got down on his knees and started praying, calling you the Messiah, yes? Well, Sweeney was always the club clown. And he was, it, it was a great dressing room. And that was that was impressive as well, you know, the... Uh, Sweeney and Gillies, you know, a double act, you know, and they, the, the scouting had been outstanding. You know, I don't think Alan Dix ever got the credit he deserved for, for putting that side together. And at our best, um, with everyone free from injury, you know, with Norman, um, Pete Cormack, um, you know, the, there was a solid side and a solid yeah. backbone. What did a you think of um, What did you think of Jerry Gow as a midfielder? Because he'd sort of uh, you'd played against him, but what was he like to play alongside? He's everybody's he his favourite. Smashing lad, he was very intelligent too. He was actually quite quiet, but he he was very intelligent and uh, he loved the life. Mind the way, you know, Gary Gary loved the night out with the lads and a few pints. That's for sure. But I, I think he was unfortunate in so much as at the time, Scotland were very strong in midfield. Otherwise, he'd have had a lot of caps, Gary. You know, he, he, he was that good. And I wasn't at all surprised when he went to Manchester City. Yeah. And another player that I guess would have been the provider of uh, crosses for you, Clive Whitehead. You must have, because uh, he went on for a very good career after he left City. But how did you rate Clive in the team? <laughs> Clive's, a, Clive's a lovely boy. I saw him at a recent Bristol City roundup. And uh, he was an outside left at times, and then other times he was a left back. Um, he had all the usual frustrations that come with wingers. The relationship with, with wingers and, and uh, centre forwards isn't always great because if they go to cross the ball and you come running and then they don't cross the ball, you find quite often the ball hit you on the back of the head while you're on the way out. But Clive, Clive had a touch of that, but he, he was a very, very promising young player, Clive. You know, I'm I surprised he didn't go on and, and do more, maybe internationally. That's interesting. And Tommy Ritchie, I mean, he was, he'd missed, he, he hadn't had a consistent, I mean, Chrissy Garland was there as well, but I think was injured when you arrived. But Tommy Ritchie, I mean, what a player he was and must have been great to play alongside. Tom, Tom's is still a great friend. He, he came and stayed with us. He'd been up in Scotland and he called in on his way back to see us. And we had a lovely night out with, with him and Doreen and my wife, Janet, and I. And we went for a meal together talking about the old times. Tom, Tom was a smashing player. He could play up front. He could play midfield. He could play wide. He, he was just a, a, a top-class footballer, you know. But like, like, like a lot of other players, when they, the money was needed, he had to go. Yeah, at that at that uh, at that difficult time. So, yeah, 77-78 season you were there. 78-79 yeah. was City's best season in the top flight. And I was just looking up on the YouTube. I remember you scored a goal against Liverpool in the 90th minute up at the open end, hooked it in. I mean, I bet yeah. it was always great to get one over on the Reds. Well, I had a good record against the Reds, you know, even with, with Everton. Uh, with Manchester City and with Bristol City. 
And I remember afterwards, I knew, knew Ray Clements very well from international um, appearances. And uh, he came up to me coming off the pitch. He said, you're lucky, Buggy, you've sliced it. I said, uh, does it matter? Does it matter, Ray? It's in the net. And he was fuming. But if he looked at it again, I didn't slice it. I would just gently volley this in. If I'd have, if I'd have walloped this, it would have gone over the, over the stand. And literally only a couple of weeks after that, you got a, again. I was there five nil home to Coventry on Boxing Day. You got yeah. a hat trick. I know when when goals had become uh, scarce at times, and then there was weighing in with a hat trick, and uh, um, you just can't. You can't. I remember one particularly. You know the a long through ball and down the middle, and I must have still had a yard of pace in me at the time, and uh, I got clear and, and volleyed this on the rise again. So. It was um, it was great to be back on the goal scoring list again. Yeah. But if I look back on my Bristol City times, I would say three fabulous years, a lovely club, some great players, and still great friends. I just wish I'd scored more. Oh well, you did all right though. You did all right. Well, one one of the players that was emerging at the time, uh, famous for scoring a hat trick at Man United, Kevin Mabbott. What do you remember of him? Because he would have been a strike partner for a bit. He, he was a lovely kid. He, he was. He was football crazy. Uh, he was probably too good looking to be a footballer because everywhere he went, he was followed by women. Um, but he, he, he was my room partner for a while, Kevin. He did move to America in the end, but he'd had a bad knee injury, I think, when he'd gone to Crystal Palace. And a, a great kid. And that, that game at Manchester United when he got the hat-trick, he actually credited me with three assists, which was nice. Oh, that's good. I think that's just about available as a grainy image somewhere on the YouTube, if I recall correctly. Um, so, as you say, three really good years. 79-80, the summer of 79, Alan Dix told me that there's nothing he could do to make Norman stay. And he also lost Gary Collier. I mean, you were there. You'd established yourself. Well, you were a mainstay of uh, the team. What do you recall of summer 79 with the freedom of contract move of Collier? Norman, not really. Part of the reason was and said that his wife hadn't settled. You'd made that move from north to south. What was your thoughts in that summer, you know, as an outsider to those events relating to some of your teammates? My immediate thought, this was when freedom of contract was coming in. Uh, and, and Gary Collier was a very, very promising young centre-half. Norman was probably one of the best defenders I ever played against, certainly. I don't think people realised how good he was because everyone used to talk about how hard he was. But they were two big holes that were going to have to be filled. Dave Rogers came back and he was fit again after knee problems. But, you know, we, we, we it, was, it was hard to replace top players in, at any time. And then with freedom of contract, Coming in, I think probably the, the club panicked a little bit and started handing out long-term contracts, you know, up to seven years and so forth, which in football really is a lifetime. Yeah. Did you get one of those contracts yourself, Joe? Because Alan told me that when he gave the contracts out, and you don't blame the manager, you blame the board for not sort of seeing the, the folly of doing something like that. But Alan told me that the contracts went up to a player age of 35 when they qualified for their PFA pension. I mean, were you coming to the end of your contract, which is why you left the summer of uh, 80 or what? Tell me what happened, how his contracting affected you, if at all. Well, it, it didn't affect me at all because, uh, I mean, uh, when we'd been relegated, 
um, the the more senior players and the higher paid players had to go anyway. You know, so um, I I was immediately contacted by Norwich, which is from one side of the country to the other side. Uh, John Bond <coughs> um, was very impressive to speak to as well, and I'd seen them play. They'd come to Bristol City and beaten us. But apparently he'd been impressed by what I did in the game. And so I went over to speak to him. But the, the team at that stage, you know, with, with Norman was feeling injuries as well and wanted to move back. Um, Terry Cooper, I think, was at that. He, he was with us, but uh, um, he, he was feeling injuries as well. I think I've lost you there, Dave. I can He's still hear you. Back. No, we're back. We're back now. Yeah, I, I lost your image, but I could still hear you perfectly. You carry on, Joe. So, you know, it, it was a, a bit of a turmoil in the summer. Uh, Pete Cormack also was having injuries, you know, and, and Pete Cormack was a wonderful footballer when he was fit and that, but he, he did he did have too many injuries at Bristol City. So you could see then it was going to be hard for Bristol City in the new season. Yeah, so, uh, and as, as we say, the rest is history as 40-odd years later, we're still looking. So you had some time at uh, Norwich, I guess... You know what was it? Forty-two games, nine goals. It was it. Was it your back injury that had been there from quite an early? Yeah. Set? Did you retire through injury, or was it something else that caused you? I to retired play? through a knee injury at the end of my second season. The nice thing about Norwich was uh, the sad thing was we got relegated. So I'm I'm sad with relegation two years in a row. But I did win Player of the Season at Norwich, even though I I didn't score a a load of goals and uh, again, a very nice club, Ken Brown, a lot in common with Alan Dix, you know, the soft and easy touch rather than, than uh, what would you call it, a, a jailer, you know, shouting and, and uh, cajoling the players all the time. But um, I, I enjoyed my, my one full season at, at Norwich, even if we did get relegated. Yeah, yeah. Let's go back to your time at Bristol. Um, you, you lived down in uh, Colmesbury. What are your recollections of uh, the area? You know, because you say you still like it down here to a point, but uh, what, you know, what, what, what do you think of life in Colmesbury and surrounding Bristol? I don't think my wife's ever forgiven me for moving. You know, we, she was, uh, she was, I came home one day and said, listen, you know, Norwich want me and Bristol City have got to get rid of me. I'm going over to speak to Norwich. She said, well, hang on, I've got news for you. I'm pregnant. And so, <laughs> uh, so she was caught up in the, in the move, you know, a pregnant lady. And, uh, you know, I was, I was commuting from the, the uh, southwest of the country to the east of the country every weekend and back. And it, it was getting too much. So we, we did get over there to live as soon as we could. Uh, and then it was a, a very much like Bristol City, a lovely club, nice people, nice fans, you know, yeah. not uh, not crazy people, you know. Like here, here we city. go. Here we go on to the next interesting part of your return to the northwest with Oldham Athletic. Was that as player manager or just straightforward manager? Because you got that at the age of what thirty three, so you know, young to be in charge, like Lee Johnson was at Oldham. I was the youngest manager in the country when. When I, I, I was told by the specialist that my knee would never stand up to, to uh, football again, um, I started writing round. I, I wrote to Mr. Clough and said, if you need a young coach, because I knew that Brian wasn't a tracksuit manager, you know, but if you needed someone to get out there, I had an, in <clears throat> excuse me, I had an interview at Peterborough 
an interview at Blackpool, and I had an interview at Bristol City for the job. And um, uh, I met uh, I met Sweeney, my great mate Sweeney, the Sweeney on, on the way in, and he said, I think you're wasting your time, mate. I think Terry Cooper's already got the job. So I went in, I thought the interview went well. And uh, and then I, I just got a, a very polite message saying, thank you for coming, but you know, we've looked in another direction. And it, it was very sad, really. So I'd, I'd, I had also written off to Oldham um, when, when my knee was bad and uh, obviously my career was finished at Norwich. Ken Brown, the manager, said, do you want to come away with him at the end of the season, Joe? You know, a farewell with all the lads. I said, where are you going, Ken? He said, uh, Jamaica. I said, I'm coming. And, uh, <laughs> and we were sat around the pool one day, uh, Graham Padden, an experienced pro, Mickey Maguire, great friends. A lot of similarities with the Bristol City Centre, small <laughs> club and good people. And um, we were passing around a three-day-old Daily Mirror, and the, the news on the back of the paper was that um, Jimmy Frizzell had been sacked at, at Oldham Athletic. And that was a bit of a shock because it was seen that he'd done an OK job, really. And yeah. the manager, sorry, the chairman then, Harry Wilde, had this marvellous quote in, in this uh, article saying Jimmy Frizzell has worked miracles for this club, but we're now looking for something different. So two interviews later, Jay Royal uh, arrives eventually on the back of a lorry after the, my car broke down and uh, <laughs> the Oldham job. I mean, I've been to Boundary Park. There I say it. it's, I mean, I guess your wife was happy because it took you back up to the Northwest. Yeah, it's not quite Bristol, but it's a bit of a shithole around by Boundary Park, isn't it, really? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, when I look back into it, apparently I had uh, my grandfather had been a policeman in Oldham and he'd moved to Liverpool uh, with, with my father, obviously, um, for promotion because he was an engineer. And then my father, who was a trained concert pianist of an evening and an engineer by day, um, the, the royal family, I was actually the first member of the royal family born in, in Liverpool. But I'd grown up there, and uh, what you said about Oldham might be a little bit harsh because I've still got two sons live there in the villages up on the Pennines um, in, in Delph and Dobcross, and believe me, it's very pretty there. Yeah, I'm just talking about the car park on the side of the ground and the the away end. I know they've built a new stand alongside there now, but it's your, uh, it's your, it's your definite Lowry image of a football stadium <laughs> up in, up in the dark satanic North. What it, it was, was the year? It was all of, it was all I mean, of that. And, and believe the resources me, we, that you had there, I mean, yeah. cause you, you got them to the, what is now the Premier League after nine years. Yeah. But the resources would have been a lot less than you had at Bristol City. So, you know, how did you, how did you set about the task? Did you, did you hire an experienced assistant to work with you? No, when, when, when I got the job, the, the chairman, Harry Wilde, said to me, Mr. Royal, you never managed before. We know you're doing your coaching badges. Um, we're, we're going to offer you the job on a one-year contract. Um, by the way, um, we're not estate agents. You'll have to find your own house. We're not car dealers. You have to use your own car. And you've got to sell someone quickly because we're skint. And that was my mandate as Oldham Athletics' 33-year-old manager. So you had to really get 
get stuck in, but you did it. I mean, nine years to get there. What was the year you had the uh, artificial pitch? Was that the year that you uh, got promoted or was that something that was dispensed with midway through that period before you finally went? The artificial pitch came came about, believe it or not, because we had uh, nowhere to train. You know, we we had a a patch of a ground, even worse than what I used to call Woodstock. It was Stockwood, really, but Bristol City's training ground at at that time wasn't very good. And... um, you know, they, it, 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 it was a, te- a terrible state it used to get. And if there'd been any rain, it was a bog at Bristol City. And, and Oldham was the same. One training ground, uh, and some clown had called it Little Wembley, um, my arse. And, and so, <laughs> quite honestly, um, you know, I, I was ringing around looking for school pitches at times, somewhere to train. Um, but as we got better facilities got better as well as you often find and the 12 years that I was there we made a transfer profits every year so you know we were doing okay done a great job and you kept them at that top flight for three years yeah and at one stage you're even linked with the England manager's job as well when others were sort of other names were thrown around is that true that you were linked with the yes, job I, I was uh, approached by uh, England asking would I interview for the job um, I declined. Uh, I said, listen, I'm, I'm enjoying what I'm doing at the moment. I think I'm too young at 33, 34 to be taking a job like England. But but thank you very much. And uh, there's a short list of three, Graham Taylor, Howard Kendall and myself. So I, I didn't go for the interview. And then when we played Blackburn Rovers at the end of the season, uh, the chairman there, Blackburn at the time, was um, was also one of the England Select Committee. And uh, in the boardroom after the game, he gave me a curly finger coming over into this corner, young man. And he said, why didn't you come for the job? And I said, exactly what I've just said. I said, quite honestly, I'm, I'm enjoying what I'm doing. And I, I haven't even managed or coached at the top flight yet. Uh, I said, and, and we all knew anyway that Graham Taylor was going to get the job. He said, if you'd come, you had it. So, and then whether or not that's easy to say, but then again, we, we, I got to Everton and um, we came off the bottom when I arrived there. We had eight points from a third of the season. We ended up with 50 points and won the FA Cup and then the Charity Shield. Oh, great time. Yeah, I must, that must have been great going back to the club where you started to take them. And they haven't won a trophy since you won the FA Cup in 1995, have they? No, they, they haven't indeed. But at the end of that season, Jimmy Armfield, the great Jimmy Armfield, the Blackpool fullback, he... He approached me and he, he said, um, I've come to ask you about the England job. He said, but I suppose now that you've won the cup, uh, you're not interested. I said, I can't say I'm not interested in the England job. I said, but I've waited 12 years to get the Everton job. So uh, I'll go with it. Yeah. Well, you had a short period out of the game and then Man City, no less. Yeah. Where you played. Um a great record there. You couldn't stop them getting relegated, but then promotion uh, via the playoffs um, and then up to the Premier League and back down again. Just briefly, what that time at Man City, that was, well, extreme highs, I guess, that famous playoff victory over uh, Gillingham, Gillingham, I recall. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, quite honestly, marvellous time. That it, Another lovely club, another night's club, uh, and also at the time in the shadow of the neighbours, of course, who were, Alex was starting to win trophy after trophy, but uh, 
three great years there. You know, I never wanted to leave Manchester City at that stage. Um, but when we got relegated after being promoted two years running, um, it, it seemed rather harsh, really, because, again, you know, we, we couldn't compete financially at the time which will seem almost comical when you see the finance of Man City now. Yeah. But we were buying free transfers like um, Andy Morrison, you know, came in, I think, for 30 grand um, and, and one or two others, 100 and 200,000 players. But quite honestly, we, we just didn't have the players to compete at that level. And then Kevin Keegan came in and all of a sudden they're spending like a man with no arms. <laughs> so you had a short period out of the game. Then the next stop... Back in East Anglia, I mean, your 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 wife's very good lady following you around here, there, and everywhere. Back in East Anglia to manage uh, <clears throat> Ipswich Town. What what? How was that um, a period in your career? David Cheapshanks had rung the um, Manchester City chairman about me. Apparently, David Bernstein, and he'd given me a glowing uh, a glowing record uh, and. Um, I, I spoke to David Bernstein, another really nice man who loved his club, a um, East Anglian gentry he was. And Ipswich, had, the season before, had been a, a top flight club, you know. So I, I joined them when they were at the bottom, but we got to the playoffs twice, again, with no money. So I don't count that as a failure. I, I would, you know, that, that was rather more of a credit than a failure. Absolutely. No, no, you did... Uh... You did well there. So since then, if I'm right in saying you've done various things, but you took charge of Everton one last time with uh, David Unsworth. That's six years ago, final game of uh, that season. I mean, was that your swan song? You know, what... what... Hey, David, I, I, I can't honestly tell you because I've, uh, I've retired now four times. And <laughs> the one thing I have found out is I'm not very good at it. So watch this place. You think, I mean, do you think, because uh, what you're coming up to, uh, was it set? You look a very young 73, you're six year, only six years older than me. So, uh, so there was okay. six, seven. Um, you, you, you've never fancied a director of football role somewhere then? I did. I had it at Wigan last year. And then the Chinese who had, you know, initially uh, came into Wigan because, they, you know, they wanted my son and I to go in. And then they pulled the plug on us. Um, for no reason that we can find. So Wigan went down, having sold, went into administration. Again, they sold all their best players off. I've been very unfortunate with finance now that I think about it. You know, wherever I've gone, they seem to have troubles. But um, no, it, it was a great couple of years that we had and uh, I'm delighted to see Wigan doing well again. But um, great times. I, I was a director of football there. I was sort of not a director of youth at Everton for a spell, but I was wandering around getting uh, the players um, on loan into into clubs, and uh, I enjoyed that. In fact, I applied for a job at Bristol City when they uh, when they um, advertised the job there, and I said, you know, I live in the northwest. I could probably do a similar job to what Tony Collins did. I know everybody in the northwest, the the young players at. And I, I got a, a, a very polite standard letter back saying, thank you for asking uh, that it's been a very high... Uh, a oh, very God. High I can just plastic. imagine the type of letter, you know, unfortunately on this success... And how long ago was that, Joe? How long? Because some people would say somebody with your experience in the game, 
your experience in the game still has very much to offer. And dare I say it, knowledge of players and contracts and stuff, you know, there's still a job to be done. Honestly, I, I was surprised because it, in all, it sounds immodest and I don't mean it that way, but I, I think I've always been a decent judge of a player. You know, it's, as I say, for 12 years running as old and we made a profit, you know, and we, I signed players like Earl Barrett for 30,000 and sold him for 1.7 million. Dennis Irwin on a free and we sold him for 750. You know, so all over, you know, we were making profit on players who were brought in. A lot like Alan Dix did in the early days. And I'd say again, I don't think he, he gets the recognition that he deserves. But uh, as I say, it was a standard letter that came back that probably got to everybody else who didn't get the job. And uh, here I am. And sorry to push you on there, though, was that sort of within the last five years that you'd done that? or a bit yeah, like... Within the last five years. You know, so the... when, what, when Lee was still in charge, yeah? Or... I, I, I can't remember. Can't be specific. Were. All right, that's interesting. I mean, as a football man and as a former City player, you must look at Bristol City and think, here they are, you know, they've been out of the top flight for 40-plus years. <laughs> Why haven't they got back? Is it is it a mentality that it's all a little bit too nice down here? You've got a chairman that most football managers would love to have a chairman like Steve Lansdowne that has shown immense loyalty to certain managers and put his hand in his pocket. What is the inside track amongst the football fraternity on why Bristol City don't succeed? David, I was at a recent dinner, as you know, you were there yourself, and uh, I looked at what Steve Lansdowne and, and his now chairman son, John, had done for the club, and they are a manager's dream. Quite, I'm not just saying that. You know, the, the, the stuff that's gone on, the upgrading of the ground there, all they need now is to get into the top flight again, and I'm sure they'll flourish. But uh, it's a hard one. It's, it, it really is a hard one. Um, but he certainly can't. The, the, the manager there can't complain about the, a, a lack of support, shall we say. Yeah, a lack of support with the facilities. I mean, it's interesting. A manager, Nigel Pearson's got a great track record, and despite a disappointing season, he still garners the support of most of the uh, uh, m- most of the fan base. Um how important, I mean, Nigel says that he manages, he doesn't coach, doesn't like dealing with agents. He's got a chief executive, Richard Gould, who's a vast improvement on what was there before, but he's not a football man either. How important is it to have a director of football these days that looks at recruitment and has to deal with agents? I'm sure you have a view on agents in general. I've frightened a few, yes, and... Uh... And I, I turned a gun on one once. I'd, I'd, <laughs> I'd um, taken the gun off my son. You know, it was only a pellet gun. And uh, he came into the office and I'm pointing the gun at him. He, he, was, he was frightened. He still talks about it. But that's, on, that's only a jocular side. Listen, the, the, the three most important things in football are recruitment, recruitment and recruitment. It's, it's quite that simple why Everton are having a bad time at the moment. Uh, is their recruitment's been poor over the years, probably too many managers and and a lack of stability. But under Tony Collins, you saw with people like Jimmy Mann coming <coughs> down, John Shaw, um, with Norman coming in, Im- immense. What a coup that was, Norman. Terry Cooper, Pete Cormack, all senior players still with a part to play. Um, recruitment is the most important. Not coaching, by the way. 
because coaching is, is very important because you do it five days a week. But, you know, you will never make a slow player quick. You will never make um, a player who's not very brave into a brave player. Recruitment, recruitment, recruitment. When you're a manager, did you have, I, I, I should know this, but who are the assistants? Because Oldham, it was very much you doing it. But since then, have you had assistants that are good mates? One of you is good cop, bad cop. Who, who have you worked with? Willie Donachie came with me uh, to Oldham first as a free transfer at the end of his career. I'd played with Will, Willie for three years at Man City. And I knew he was a fitness fanatic. He was a solid citizen. Uh, and he was always going to be a good coach. And I took Willie with me to Everton, uh, to Ipswich. Um, no, Willie, Willie was always my top man, my 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 right hand. Yeah. So so assistants are uh, a very very uh, very important part. Um, one of my football friends said to me, Joe's got some quite forthright views on uh, football in general. Um, I'll ask one that's. I guess a bit close to your heart at the moment. You must it, it, you must be devastated at how Everton are doing right now. And you, well, you just said a moment ago it's to do with recruitment, but surely they're not going to come down for the first time in six, 70 years, are they? You just used the word devastated. I think the devastation hasn't come yet. If it does come, and hopefully won't, um, at the moment I'm very worried rather than de- devastated, you know, because their away form is, is abysmal. And, and the, the classic formula at the moment for relegation is um, you can't keep a clean sheet and you can't score a goal. And unfortunately, that's evident at the moment. There's got to be a big turnaround soon. Mm-hmm. Well, what are your views on uh, VAR in uh, football? Because it gets a lot of uh, publicity for usually the wrong reasons. But what's your views on that? Well, it's, it, it's damned if you do and damned if you don't because there's so many times that uh, offsides have been missed in football or balls over the line have been missed and that, and now we're complaining about it because we can see it on television. It's very American. I, I'm, I'm neither a fan nor, nor would I say, a, a critic of VAR. I, I, I think it can be used, used probably better you know, and quicker, but uh, nevertheless, you know, it's an American thing that's come in and uh, let's live with it. Yeah, and then uh, World Cup year this year, stupid time to be, stupid time, stupid place, having a mid-season uh, break. How do you rate uh, England's chances in that? Um, it, it's hard to say, to be honest with you. I, I'm not terribly well up on the, the continental sides at the moment, you know, but uh, I think that England have an exciting young crop, you know, particularly the, you know, the likes of Saka, you know, and, and a nice blend with the, experience and pace of Walker at the back. Um, it, it'll be interesting to see, you know, if anybody comes out of the pack to get into the England squad. But um, at the moment, I think we've, we've got a decent side. Whether or not it's going to be a World Cup winning side, we'll wait and see. Yeah. And then final question, uh, Joe, you said uh, never say never, I think, when about getting back into football. I mean, if you could crystal ball... As I say, you're still a relatively young man. Um, crystal ball, say, the next three or four years, what would you love to do if it was getting back into football now? Um, well, um, you know, I now have two metal knees and a metal hip, so I, I can't 
be out every day on the pitch as, as uh, I, I was as an early coach. But uh, nevertheless, um, just the involvement. You know, football is a drug. You know, it, it is, it, and I mean, I've, we've lost Norman now. Norman was a great friend and Norman had seen it, done it, played in World Cups. He was a fabulous player and a great man, a lovely man. And, you know, the last time I saw him at Leeds uh, towards the end of last season, uh, he was still as enthusiastic as ever, you know, about football. And football's been very good to me. You know, I, I have no complaints about football. Um, you never know, I have to say. You, you never know. Well, I think next time, if you ever did write to Bristol City, based on your record, not only here, but just your record general overall, you'd certainly be worth more than uh, a standard letter, certainly in my book. Blow them all away. What if I've been unlucky? Really, I ain't got a thing. There's a time I always feel happy, as happy as a king. When the red, red robin comes bow, bow, bowing along, along. There'll be no more sobbing when he starts throbbing his old sweet song. Oh, wake up, wake up, you sleepyhead. Get up, get up, get out of bed. Cheer up, cheer up, the sun is red. Live, love, laugh and be happy. What if I've been blue? Now I'm walking through fields of flowers. Rain may glisten, but still I listen for hours and hours. I'm just a kid again, doing what I did again, singing a song. When red, red robins are bob, bob, bobbing along. Red, red robin come bob, bob, bobbing along, along. There'll be no more sobbing when he starts robbing his old sweet song. Oh, wake up, wake up, you sleepyhead. Get up, get up, get out of bed. Cheer up, cheer up, the sun is red. Live, love, laugh and be happy. What if I've been blue? Now I'm walking through fields of flowers. Rain may glisten, but still I listen for hours and hours. I'm just a kid again, doing what I did again, singing a song. When the red, red robin starts bobbing along. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you still the last nugget snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? Our participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and time supply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.